0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. From Audio Boom comes Covert, a new podcast that delves into the murky world of spies, soldiers, and top secret military operations. I'm Jamie Rinnell. Johnny Carson once interviewed Betty Davis and asked if she had any advice for young starlets wanting to get ahead in Hollywood. She suggested take Fountain. Fountain Avenue runs parallel to Santa Monica and Sunset Boulevards in Hollywood and is often used to avoid the heavier traffic. And isn't that what we're all after? A smooth run, no hold-ups, not only in traffic but also in life. How do people handle those hold-ups, the rejections? How do they create a life in the entertainment capital of the world? How do they identify and express their uniqueness in a place where hundreds of thousands are hoping to do the same? Welcome to Take Fountain. Compelling stories from passionate people who've made it, are making it, in Hollywood. Writers, comedians, actors, filmmakers. I'll talk to anyone with a story to tell. Welcome to Take Fountain, a podcast of passionate people working on their dreams. Compelling stories from Hollywood. Your host, Ella James. My guest today is someone who's everything. (laughs) Nick Hardcastle is... Um, a theatre impresario. Do we still use that expression? Wow. Do we like that?
1: I love that. I don't know how a it is it's has Theatrical entrepreneur.
0: <laughs> uh, you're a television star in Australia. You had video hits. You did a lot of children's TV. There was a show, Creatures.
1: Creature Features Creature on Features. ABC. And yeah, a lot uh, of Home other and hits. Away.
0: Yeah. Nearly 300 episodes of Home and Away. Gosh. Um, <laughs> Summer Bay. <laughs> You're my first Aussie, actually. So I I, I don't Hooray. know how much I know, <laughs> and because I've got such an international audience, I don't know how much how much of this I should point to, but I shall allow people to do the Google, and ungoogleable, uh, and you're googleable. Mm-hmm. Radio is also a thing for mm-hmm. you. You're an MC. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how did you wind up in LA?
1: Well, I won the Green Card Lottery when I was living in London, and it was really weird because I was at a point in my life there where I felt like I was quite out of control. I had to keep making choices based upon um, based upon visa requirements, so i wasn 't really able to fully and passionately follow my heart when it came to... You'd gone there for theatre. You were,
0: you were Felicia in the in Yeah,
1: for desert. I was, yeah. And I got great representation over in London in my production break between the Sydney and Melbourne seasons. And, you know, um, there was a lot of talk about the great things that were potentially going to happen. I got a job with Mike Stock from Stock and Waterman, the, the pop hit factory. Oh, they, I mean,
0: they were, they were Kylie.
1: Yes, so right. they, you know, they created Kylie and, you know, Banana Rama and Mel and Kim and Rick Astley and all these other fabulous... You know, the soundtrack to my childhood.
0: A, 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 well, you also, I mean, I should say you also, you've had a number of, of top-selling albums. Oh, bless so a you. singer as
1: well. <laughs> I mean, top-selling. Um... Well, your mother bought one. Mum, <laughs> Mum <laughs> bought a couple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I released a couple of albums, uh, uh, including a solo pop record. And it didn't sell incredibly well at all, but it was named one of the top 20 albums of 2006 alongside Tom York and Niles Barkley and Bob Dylan and the Arctic Monkeys and some wow. pretty amazing acts. and so that was pretty cool, but um so that was another reason why I also went to London um to uh, got offered um a recording deal with a small label that was managed well that was sort of personally a and R by Lucian Grange, who was the head of Universal Music, one of the most powerful men in the music business. So all these things sort of took me to London, and then I got there, and the crash happened, and the arse fell out of the universe, the investment for that almost every project I was attached to. But I had just broken up with my fiance. I had left Australia behind and I was going on new adventures and there was no way I was heading back in spite of the fact that it was a bit bleak. <laughs> so um, I started working, um, coaching people in media, so mostly TV hosting and, and, and personal branding and key messaging and sort of on-camera techniques and voice and body stuff and, and I, it got me a, a gig as a head of presentation at the London Academy of Media. And so that kind of kept me going while I continued to audition for shows. Not particularly successfully, always getting down to the last couple and West End shows and never nailing it. And, and then I, I did a sitcom called The Beautiful People, but not a lot. And then my visa was up. So um, I had to decide, do I go back to Australia and continue to pursue my career or do I stay and continue to pursue the adventure and life experience? and That one out. But it meant that I had to get a job and get sponsored. So this is a very long story, but eventually, uh, as a sponsored employee, what happens is you, you, you're you kind of trapped. If you want to leave your job, you've got 48 hours to get out of the country because you're done. And so, uh, you know, they sort of had me by the balls a little bit and um, it, it, wasn't a, it wasn't a great environment to be in. And just as I was sort of despairing as to how do I stay here but not – you know, be trapped, you know, I was trying to get an entrepreneurial visa or maybe I can, you know, uh, you know, obviously even talked about, you know, marrying a friend or, you know, but which I would never do, I mean, getting married is traumatic enough if you do it for real, let alone for a visa. <clears throat> <laughs> but, um... Thank you, Andy McDowell. Yeah. Um, and then out of the blue, I got a phone call congratulating me on winning the green card lottery from this agency that I'd given up on. I paid them for 10 years to enter me. That it was the sixth year. And I, of course, found out immediately after paying that you can enter legitimately for free on the... And I went, oh, well, that's a scam, and I let it go. And then six years later, I get this phone call on a particularly grim day in London. Um, and I'm, I take the phone call, and I'm walking outside, and it's drizzling, and I'm in Covent Garden, and I just burst into tears. <laughs> what does this mean? Because I had no idea I'd given up on this whole idea of coming to America... Years before, and um, and so yeah, when when um, when I I got that call and I, I did, I went through the process and I didn't know what I would do here or where I would go. Everyone assumed I'd go to New York, you know, working in commercial theatre. But um, but my spirit just had had enough of the greyness. I really wanted to be in the sunshine and I wanted to be by the ocean. I grew up by the by the ocean by the Pacific and. It was just time for me to get a bit of that back in, in my soul. <laughs> and um, and so I chose LA purely for the sunshine and, and to be by the beach, uh, not really for my career or anything like that. I had no idea what I was going to do here.
0: When we were talking before this, you, you said it's always the best time to not be rolling tape. Um, <laughs> but you said something about making the decision to leave your performing aspirations and focus more on, can you remember what it was that you said? Well, you'll know the thought because it's yours. Well,
1: well, But yes. you'd, you'd had a shift. I had some of my own thoughts. Um, <laughs> I did, well, I just, I had a massive shift and it had a lot to do with breaking up with my my girlfriend at the time, um, largely because I fell in love with a man and that was the first time I'd ever sort of had that experience and and that didn't work out either. Um, that was like a real disaster, although we're very good friends now, but um, and then leaving the country and and sort of being able to start again as the person that I was right then, you know as, as my most authentic self that was experiencing daily and being open to change and experience as opposed to the boy who'd been on TV for fifteen years that and radio and all the rest that even though I wasn't a huge celebrity. It's a very small sort of cottage industry there, and it's a, Sydney becomes a small town after living and working there for thirteen to fifteen mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. And especially if you're working across all those industries—radio, TV, music, you know, film and theatre—and I just sort of needed to be anonymous. I needed to just sort of give myself the opportunity to, you know, just meet people and allow them to take me at face value and. And to have the opportunity to actually make a bad impression and be okay about it, you know, not have to, you know, be on all the time. And so, yeah, my career became less important than adventure and experience and learning more about myself and what were sort of desires and what was conditioning and what was, you know, what I was doing just because I always had done it as opposed to what gave me joy.
0: There's a... Uh, in speaking to so many Australians as I have done over the last three years of being here, there's a huge misnomer of that people come to L.A. to be famous. Mm-hmm. And I've met people who certainly that was their intention mm-hmm. and they've now left that away, mm-hmm. they've let that drop away, or they've just come for the adventure. Yeah. Um, so it's not... Everybody doesn't come to make that seamless transition to be Margot Robbie,
1: yeah, you know. I mean, and my god, congratulations to Margot Isn't Robbie she because she's amazing, and uh, you know, and 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 she's she's you know, she put the work in and she's and she's fabulous, and I, yeah. you know, but are you're albums. absolutely I mean, right,
0: Damon Harriman,
1: yeah, um, but ben Damon's Wilson. you know, but Damon's not a Margot Robbie, like Damon's such a brilliant, quiet achiever, and he's just you know, he just uh, he's so prolific as well, mm-hmm. um. But you're right, for every Margot or, or Damon, there's hundreds and hundreds of others that come here and and end up leaving very disillusioned and broke and hurt. Um, and so, yeah, for me it was definitely about the adventures. Like, I've been given this opportunity, been given a rite of passage. I've got a green card. I didn't ask for it, and people would kill for it. And I felt like I had to take the step to come and try it out. I didn't know what I was going to do, but obviously I'm now in a position to make decisions about what I want to be doing. And now I, I had left my, well, I, I didn't leave my performing career completely behind. I just did work that could fit in with the job that satisfied my visa requirements, things that I wanted to do. So I did play Ruben in Ruben Guthrie mm-hmm. in, the West, in the West End premiere. And I, I did um, a couple of other little shows and I started a small event entertainment um, company, and that's where my Sunday showcases of Australian talent in London. Sunday started. in the apartment? Sunday in the apartment. And
0: that's in uh, both London and New York?
1: Or? Well, London and here. I did um, okay. Sunday in Hollywood here a couple of times, which was great, but the talent pool's very different here. You know, over in London it's much more diverse. You've got your singer-songwriters, your opera singers, your classical musicians, your comedians, your uh, musical theatre performers, um, Writers, it's all, whereas over here it's mostly musicians, actors, writer-directors, mm. you know, the burlesque performer, perhaps. Um, and that's not to be completely general, but I just that's just what I found with Australian talent okay. uh, in London as opposed to here, um, that you can showcase in a live cabaret slash variety setting. You know, yes, there's amazing film directors here, but it's very difficult to showcase mm-hmm. them in in a... In a show like that, so
0: as a showcase,
1: mm. you you
0: you put this on in London, and then you sell tickets to the wider audience, or you promote it within the Australian community. What's the aim of it?
1: Yeah, it, it's a community event. I work with the Australian High Commission and a Chamber of Commerce called Australian Business UK, and the idea is that we bring captains of industry, government leaders, from you know the, the equivalent of our consulate in the High Commission, um, and other australian expats as well as people that they do business with in the uk and it's a it's it's a way for Australian talent over there who are emerging to kind of create community, create a network. And, you know, the Agent General of South Australia might see a a young woman from Adelaide pop up and he's like, I want to champion you. And he'll get, you know, he'll get people around who can support and nurture her journey and they'll get gigs out of it. You know, Qantas will come along and some of the acts have ended up on in-flight entertainment. Some people, it's an opportunity for artists to bring in potential new management um, where they wouldn't be able to put on a showcase of their own. Mm. Um, and so, you know, they can, they can get up and do that because they've just arrived in the country. Um, it's a chance for them to also mix with very established artists, so people like, you know, Caroline O'Connor, Tim Minchin, Ray Ma, Megan Washington, Casey Donovan, a lot of people are, um, who've done the show are very well established. Right. Um, Human Nature, Dame Edna, they've all done it as well. Has
0: it been a... Has it been a, um, a- Gosh, I don't want to say natural or an easy transition for you to go from uh, being a performer to being the promoter, for want of a better word. Mm-hmm.
1: Has that? How has that been for you? Um, I've always had a bit of an entrepreneurial side. I think, always growing up, um, and I've always created my own work. Um, I, I, I did a couple of my own television pilots. I produced my own record with my friend Lindsay. Um, so that's always, that's just always been a side that I've had. So, yeah, that hasn't, it hasn't, It's it came out of the fact that I, I really love to harness other people's talents. Okay. I don't have to be the one on center, in centre stage or in the bright lights all the time. It's fun. You know, yeah. of course I love to have my moment and I love to share what I can do, but when I see somebody who's got whatever gift it is that they have, I... I love to harness that. I love to bring the potential out in in someone who maybe doesn't have that skill set. Um, so, yeah, it started with uh, my friend Natalie Marsland who um, was trying to create an immersive show around Alice in Wonderland and then this young group of um, theatre makers who had a company called Ironbark who wanted to raise money for their first show and they were coming to me asking me for ideas and I didn't have... Um, Any money to offer them, but I had relationships with people that could help, and I created the the first show around them to raise money and profile for their projects. And I mean, prior to that, we had also, I don't know if you remember, we had those devastating fires and floods in Australia in 2009. So um, a group of Australians got together myself, Tamsin Carroll, Simon Burke, Daniel Fletcher, Noni McCallum, and a great friend of mine now Amy Maiden who we didn't know at the time we got together we put together a huge variety show at the Palace Theatre which is a massive like nearly 2,000 seat theatre right at Cambridge Circus in London and within three weeks we put together this incredible show and we sold out the Palace Theatre and raised 40,000 pounds for Whoa. the British Red Cross uh Australian Fire and Floods Appeal that's how those relationships sort of started okay yes and that That was the progression then. I had no intention of leaving Australia to be surrounded by Australians and working on developing relationships with the Australian government and Australian talent. But that particular event is what kind of kicked that off. Yeah. And we felt so isolated over there watching the devastation that was happening to our country. And it was kind of like going to church for us. That was the way that we could feel like we were a part of it. And that really meant a lot. I didn't realise how important community was to me until that time. Right. And I think that's what's kept me going since then in terms of developing the showcases, then coming to Los Angeles and working with the consulate and get USA, which is an Australian public diplomacy Mm -hmm. program. Um, Because ultimately, as
0: expats, we never leave Australia. Yeah. You know, uh, I mean, it's that... Um, it's a bit of a, a cliche, but I can't hear. I still call Australia home without crying. Yeah. Um, and and when I'm away from it, I don't know what your touchstones are, but it's the sky and the mm-hmm. sea, and and I can close my eyes and I can feel the sand on the beach, mm-hmm. and it's nothing like the sand here.
1: Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yep. Absolutely. Oh, the Yeah. You <laughs> know.
0: So that, but it's also it's the people, it's the attitude, that's and we bring that with us. Yeah,
1: and I think that that's appreciated by our American friends. I think that attitude is appreciated. Um, but you're right. I always say it's time for me to go. Like I need to get home reasonably regularly because I want to put my feet on that sand. I want to hug those people. I want to hear those voices. Um, and, yeah, you're right. Those are the touchstones that you were talking about.
0: Is your personal philosophy one where you you have any idea at all of what the future holds?
1: <laughs> no. <laughs> and I, 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 look, I really appreciate people who sit down and they have their five-year plan and they're very focused. Um, I get it. I'm just not one of those creatures. I, I have vision as opposed to goals. You know, I try and be clear about, what I'd like to manifest for myself, what I'd like to see happen, things that I would like to achieve. But in terms of of goal setting, I think that sometimes, well, for me, it can hamstring you because I try to be as open to receive and give, you know, as possible. And it's amazing some of the extraordinary experiences I've had that I could never have imagined. Tell me, what tell me think, something's totally out of the blue. Well, I, I definitely wasn't planning on creating um, Australian theatre company. For example, recently I just shot a show for CBS called Pure Genius. Out my episode's on Thursday, December fifteenth, and that came about through just meeting someone. I, I wasn't going to go back into acting, but I just, I just was like, I'm missing it for my soul, my spirit. I, so I started going back into classes. I did a couple of plays this year. Which went really, really well, um, and met a guy through a friend. As a result, he got me in a room. I booked this show because I was open to it.
0: Uh, <laughs> I've got this. I've got this particular belief that when I when I was making the decision to come over here, mm-hmm. I wrote down all of the major events that had happened in my life, both good and bad, mm-hmm. and I tracked back. The ingredients that Wendy. Oh, what an interesting experiment! Yeah, really, it was. It was interesting, and uh, and what it proved to me was that it's a combination of preparation
1: mm-hmm.
0: and then the right people and the right time.
1: Mm-hmm. And well, you <coughs> have to be ready to accept an opportunity, Because yes. I've been in those situations too, where. You know, like, for example, when I I really admired Guy Chambers and Robbie Williams, when I was writing my album, that was a songwriting duo that I just loved. So when Robbie was doing songs like, you know, um, Angels and Rock DJ and, you know, all those, like, big hits, I don't know if your listeners will be familiar with him because he wasn't big here in the US, but I loved their music. I loved, I just thought they were the best at writing guitar pop stuff. And lo and behold, I end up at uh, Robbie Williams' concert and a friend of mine had a copy of her demo and she got it to Robbie on stage. The next thing you know, a guy is on the phone to her and invites us back to the after party and we're sitting there. Now, the thing is, I they were my heroes. Right. I had been writing, but I didn't have any demos yet. I didn't have it, you know what I mean? But it just wasn't my It wasn't my moment, the moment. Yeah. that's it. That's it. You have to be but, ready and prepared, like you said. And
0: but, I, you know, it's the same as with show business. Mm-hmm. It's show plus business. Yeah. So you've got to have your reels and your headshots mm-hmm. and you've got to have done the classes. You've got to have your management all mm-hmm. lined up uh, and you've got to be going to the gym, the, 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 the acting gym, so yeah. that you're ready, you know. And then you've got the business side of it, of, of the right representation okay. and going out on the right, the right auditions. And then there's the magic mm-hmm. that happens. But the magic comes through the people. And so anyway, that's what I I discovered, that I looked back and I thought, this is all about the people that I've met. And even those times when I didn't realise the importance of those people, the pivotal part that they would play in what was about to happen, Mm -hmm. that it was that when the time is right, the right people appear. Yeah. And it won't happen before. And, And the other thing, like... Forget the fridge magnets and all of the self-help books in the world. Your grandparents, everything that they say is what is everything we need to know. Every cloud has a silver lining. So so am I. So am I. But they talk to me from beyond. No, no. The the, the notion of every cloud has a silver lining. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, Nothing that's for you will go past you. Um, I I had one answer. Your
1: grandparents were probably a little bit cleverer than mine. (laughs) No! <laughs> Mine said, Nicholas, put that down. Uh, well, put your thumbs on, get back out of the tool. Oh, I I just settle down, girly. Or,
0: you know, now, stop being so loud. Stop <laughs> being such a this, stop being such a, I'm going to tell you something funny in a minute. Um, actually, I'll tell it to you now because I've forgotten what I was going to say. <laughs> Sorry. It was the, no, that's fine, it was very important, though. <laughs> um, I found, I was going through my late mother's things. I bought, every time I go back to Australia, I bring back another little. Something you know, for got yep. in storage, and this was a particular full scat piece of paper uh, for a show that I'd arranged in our housing commission flats at Little Bay
1: back when I was six. Wow, and what a uh, great spot to be in the housing commission flat, though. Well, that's so beautiful We'd right opposite Long Bay Penitentiary <laughs> and
0: opposite Bunnerong Power Station. Okay. They well, were that's different convenient. times, I know. A visiting family, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, that's it. Burn and anyway. Um, but I looked at it and, and I've said, uh, no admission. No, I've crossed that out. No admittance. No, I've crossed that out. I've gone back to admission and then I've said, necessary. Um, you can pay one or two cents, but only pay what you can afford. And then up at a d- different part of this page, it says, uh, please, mothers and people, please bake cakes. We <laughs> will sell cakes and lollies. Anyway, I thought to myself, Maybe I missed a boat. Maybe I wasn't supposed to be a performer. I found this from when I was six, and I always think, find the child at the age of seven, and I'll show you a man for life, right? Mm-hmm. We are who we were at that age. So I'm looking at this, I'm going, maybe I should move into the empresario game. And I was talking with, um, do you know uh, casting director Tom McSweeney? Yes. McSweeney Newman. So I was talking to him the other day and telling him about this, and he said, oh, Ellie, you see, this is all new. He said, you couldn't get a gig, darling, so you just created one that you could perform in. And I thought, that's exactly what I've done. I had everybody was singing and dancing and tap dancing and all the mothers and and people were going to come along and donate money, and they did. But primarily, yes, it was so that I could, I could have a gig.
1: <laughs> totally. I, I mean, I'm still doing that now. And I, I did the same thing. Although, you know, I've been fortunate I have been cast in a lot of things. Yeah. I'm not I'm not trying to, like, insulting no. in your wound or anything. No,
0: like no, don't. That's <laughs> all right, sweetheart. I'll get you. I'll be,
1: I'll be myself after the tent starts rolling.
0: Seriously, who were you when you were seven?
1: <sighs> Gosh, okay. So when I was seven, uh, that means I was in grade two at Wallandilly Public School in Goulburn. Um, I was playing the Wicked Witch in Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs in the school play. My character was loosely based on a fabulous Australian icon named Jeannie Little.
0: Oh,
1: <gasps> yes. Yeah. Um, and it was really funny because I remember the day that Mrs Rowley, my year two teacher, gave me the role. I was devastated because my girlfriend... Uh, my U2 girlfriend, Naomi Fleming, she, got, she played Snow White and she looked like Snow White. You know, she had the the really, really dark hair, the porcelain skin, the blue eyes. And she was so, so cute. And Brendan Taylor, no, Brendan Allen, who was my, like, sort of best mate at school, we both sort of fought forward over her quite a bit. Well, he got to play the handsome of Prince and I got to play the Ugly Wicked Witch. And at first I was devastated because I thought the teacher was saying that I'm the ugly one, you know. I've been miscast. I've been miscast. <laughs> I should be the handsome prince. But, of course, when I calmed down and stopped hyperventilating um, and she kind of took me aside she goes, you know, this is the best part. And I'm like, what do you mean? She goes, this is, you're going to get all the laughs. And I'm like, okay. And, of course, that's exactly what happened. I had this... In fact, I've actually got photos of it somewhere, I'll, I'll show it to you, but um, I had this terrible green wig on, my, you know, my green face, and I wore a garbage bag with a purple sort of sash around the waist as my dress, and um, fishnet stockings, I'm seven
0: so I'm sorry. I'm, not, I'm right, aren't I? Yeah. Show me the man at the age of seven, and I'll show you the man for life. It's absolutely true. You know, I heard Jane Fonda talk about this in an interview once. If you, from a from a, a feminine perspective, a feminist perspective, that if you go back to the to the child you were at seven, before you started to develop sexually, before you started to be an object of desire, before you started to be judged on your external appearance so much. That's that's the essence of who you are. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was fascinating. And it's and it's stuck with me and it keeps and it keeps coming back. So I, I think that we we are who we are. And uh, so what do you think about this notion of we can change certain things, but we keep being brought back to things.
1: Yeah. I can honestly say that I have changed enormously because of the experiences that I've had over the last nine years. You can't necessarily have an idea or an opinion on certain things if you've never been exposed to them. People still do. (laughs) People will sprout out, sprout about, you know, anything. But once, you know, the more, you know that old saying, the more I see, the more I realise how little I know. Mm -hmm. And I was very precocious always and... I feel like you, you mentioned this idea before that you feel like the experiences that you've had here have made you become a better person. I know defining what better means yes. is, is sort of relative, but I completely agree. I think that my empathy has grown enormously. I am way more outward looking. Um, I, I don't even need to try to be a kind of person anymore. It's I just am. I think because of the hardship that I've experienced, um, the hardship I've seen others go through, the incredible generosity that's been shown to me, like out of this world stuff, um, here and in the UK and at home, but just things that I I probably didn't experience before because I didn't think I really needed anyone and so maybe I didn't attract that kind of kindness and generosity in the same fashion before because I just, and also I probably wasn't giving it um, in the and same way. And maybe
0: these things come to us through age and yeah. experience and wisdom. There's got to be some kind of offset for all the wrinkles. <laughs> um, but maybe, you know, maybe that's the, that's the payoff, but it certainly feels far more acute mm-hmm. when you're not living in your familiar environment. I found when I moved here, uh, you know, I'd lived in the same place for 10 years. Right, And in and I, Sydney. In, in Sydney. And so I had my hairdresser, I had Woolies up the road. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: that's a supermarket. People. That's Oh,
0: that's a super, That's a supermarket, <laughs> yeah. Um, and and there was a Hayden Orpheum that I'd walked to to go mm. and see a movie. And um, She's North Shore, people. Oh, just stop it. <laughs> just, just so, you're so... Oh, my gosh. That was just amazing. <laughs> it's from Sawtell. It's on the north coast. Beach bum. Um, you know, but everything's in the one place. So you you almost, you're driving automatically, you've, you know, you, and that's why so many accidents happen when you're so close to home. Yeah. But suddenly I'm living in West Hollywood. I'm sitting on the wrong side of a car, driving mm. on the wrong side of the road. I'm saying out loud, keep your partner in the gutter constantly <laughs> while I'm driving around. Because of the vagaries of LA parking, I'm parking in different places every day. So you don't mm. have the one posse that's parking position <laughs> outside your house because there might be street sweeping on that day, so you can't park there, and then you can't park there between four and seven because. Honestly, those
1: way. parking signs, I had never seen a hot mess like it in my in life. In your
0: life, right? Yeah. But what it meant was that every day I left the house, I go, now where the p- is my car? <laughs> <laughs> and I was not young when I moved here, mm-hmm. and my synapses were like, this isn't good, Ella. You know, mm-hmm. you can't spend 15 minutes looking for your car every day. You're going to have to get better this. <laughs> and, of course, you do, subconsciously. You suddenly find yourself, you're operating in a much, you're firing a lot faster. Yeah. You know, and as I then was doing comedy, that helped. Um but what I did what I wasn't prepared for are the changes that you have just spoken about. and and I certainly I see all of those things in you, which is what drew me to do this interview with you because you're such a person of complete joy. And as much as I wanted to talk to you about the achievements that you've had, we both have done these interviews of where it's a chronological, it's a linear, I did yeah. this, then I did this, then I did this, then I did this. So, who are you? Oh, I'm the GPS voice in 75% of cars. I was a talk radio host on 2UE, 2GB, and the ABC for 20 years. I had a TV show on Channel 10. That's what I've done. Mm-hmm. But who am I? And that's what I wanted to find out from you. What a matchup! And what a team, Mike! Metro PCS and the iPhone SE for $0 on a network that covers 99% of people in the US. Oh, impressive. <laughs> Play with the best. Switch to MetroPCS and get a 32-gig iPhone SE for $0. MetroPCS. Coverage not available in some areas, plus sales tax and $10 activation fee. Plan based on talk and text. Not valid for active numbers currently on our T-Mobile network or active on MetroPCS in the past 90 days. See store for details and terms and conditions. This is Tate Fountain with Ella James.
1: So, the future looks very bright. Yeah, uh... This, come, this year coming is really exciting. Uh, I, think, I think this year, everyone said it in 2015 too, but I think that this year has been particularly stressful. Um, I, talked about, I talked about how I've become more empathetic and I really do feel like this year tested me in that fashion. I felt like I've, I've walked through 2016 with one less layer of skin And it's really affected me. And it's not any one thing in particular. Obviously, this presidential campaign brought out all sorts of ugliness across the spectrum. Um, The continued mass shootings in this country, particularly the one at Pulse Orlando, really affected me. The fact that we had a shootout five days later out the front of our theatre and it went unreported because no one was killed is outrageous to me. Um, and this is the Matrix Theatre. Yeah, yeah, where you on Melrose Avenue.
0: On Melrose Avenue, and this is where you run the Australian Theatre Company mm-hmm. at the moment, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I, I broke out in a stress rash at one point. I was having little anxiety, sort of mini anxiety attacks. I've had, I've had them in the past, but just little ones, like rushes of anxiety. And um, it's another reason why I've spent a little bit more time going home this year. I had some work to do anyway. I was running some seminars in Sydney and Melbourne. I've had weddings for, you know, family members and great friends. So they were also fantastic reasons to go home. But honestly, I I do feel like it's been a stressful year. Um, But having said all of that, I I really consolidated my community of friends and colleagues and associates here. I feel very connected. You went home, you were very fortunate to be able to go home for weddings. For... Yeah, I've been back to Australia three times this year, which has been great. I to London like four times. And I think that's been helpful just in terms of sort of moderating that stress. Um, but in spite of all of that, in spite of all, the, in spite of all those things, I do feel like my community is really consolidated and grown this year. I feel like I've got excellent people around me. Um, you know yourself included people who have you know come and supported what I've tried to create with my colleagues Mm. and as a result become a part of it and it's kind of felt like a bit of a movement because it's really inclusive it's not just about Australians Mm. we have an amazing diverse mix of people who are coming along and being a part of what we're doing and and trying to integrate and collaborate and create meaningful cultural exchange with our American and international friends. So that's been wonderful. The fact that I've found the joy in acting again has been very special because I didn't have to force it. I'm not attached to any outcome anymore. It's not like I need it to earn my living. Do you think that's the trick? Do you think the
0: letting go is the trick?
1: Maybe. It was for me. I don't know if it is for everybody else. Um, But now knowing that I can create my own opportunity, earn an income within this industry because of a broader skill set, um, work collaboratively with people from any field whether it's designers artists, musicians, writers directors, producers I've sat at the table with the bigger you know I've sat at Andrew Lloyd Webber's table with a really useful group in London as someone who had no business being there <laughs> in terms of my qualifications but you know was thrown in the deep end and I have worked with Broadway producers and and I I kind of feel like I feel like now I, I'm sort of much more potent as a result. You know, I feel well, I just feel more confident. Um, obviously, we all have our insecurities about certain things, and I'm no different to anybody else in that in that regard. You know, I know I I need to practice, practice, practice more to be ready to accept opportunities because I had been a little bit rusty. So I'm back in the class, I'm doing voice work again, and I'm singing regularly just for fun, but that keeps the instrument working. Um, you know, I need to probably spend more time exercising and training so that my body can respond and be ready for the roles that that I'd like to take on. But And, you know, I mean, the but I don't have any massive hang-ups about the way I look, and that can be a real problem here. And I feel like, with the right work, and I love working with coaches on my auditions and work anyway, I love process. That's the best part. Mm. Sure, getting the job's awesome and actually being on stage or in front of the camera is great, but for me, I get the most joy out of process. So, well,
0: just doing the work.
1: That yeah, is, like that doing is, that work. Like that is doing Getting the, work. the script and working with somebody and, you know, all that kind of stuff is like it, just getting the auditions a, a real gift. Mm. So, um, yeah, it's great to book, and I'd love to book more, and I'm looking forward to booking more. And um, But as I said, just not having that sort of desperation, I suppose, that can really hamper other people has been a big gift for me.
0: I, I'm i wondering if that is, because I, I hear everything you're saying and it resonates for me so mm. strongly. Um, and I too was uh, precocious. Some might say I still am. <laughs> uh, but, you know, hiding a tremendous amount of... A fear mm. and a lack of of self worth, not understanding when other people saw my talent, not yeah. certainly not seeing it myself, not appreciating my uniqueness. Yeah. And and there does come a time, and I think it is a time thing, I think it is an age thing and an experience thing where you know yourself enough to know who you are and, and what you're doing.
1: I think that, that you, you hit the nail on the head though when you said your your precociousness perhaps with masking your fear. And I think that fear is obviously the most crippling thing for any artist, Mm -hmm. any person, but I know that my life started to change and free up and that I started to feel better about myself when I faced what those biggest fears were. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that my... For example, you know, the whole questions that were thrown up at me about my sexuality and how that was going to affect the way that I was perceived by my audience and by the industry and, you know, and how it would affect even the way that people I was working with would look at the work I was offering. Like, just things like that. Or, you know, um, the fact that I got to such a high level with certain things and then couldn't quite break through that international... You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like hosting my own television shows, having pop records out, having a lead role in the biggest theatre show in the country and all these things. And then, yet, yeah, just... Ugh, not be you know, to, to step up to world class meant I really had to work harder and I really had to... And instead, I, I freaked out and, and started to self-sabotage badly. And it's when you start to sort of recognise those patterns of behaviour and let go of... Or confront, rather, those fears so that you can let go of them. That's when you sort of, I guess, start to, I don't know, be the most authentic version of yourself. And that's when good shit happens. That's when the magic happens. Mm. I remember
0: having a conversation
1: with my Auntie Edna,
0: and everybody Mm. in Australia needs an Auntie Edna. (laughs) And uh, and I said to her, what if I don't make it? Mm. And she, she, quick as anything, she said, not everybody's supposed to.
1: Yeah, but does that mean?
0: Well, I know, I know, but but in my as you've just said, you get so mm. far and no further. Yeah, and and you think, oh gosh, you know, I can see it and I mm. want it so much, and then you really do. You step back and you say, okay, let's just reassess this is it the wrong time, wrong place, or, or and what is it, and do I really want it? or And you redefine those goals that you set previously mm-hmm. or those desires or wishes or whatever, and then you set back, you just settle back into it and you become a, a more authentic person and then the magic happens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. It's just just what you said. Mm-hmm. It's been so lovely talking to you. Thank you,
1: and you oh,
0: always. Oh, forward to many more wonderful interviews and finding out what you're doing. And yeah, it'll, I'm so glad we're going to we're friends now and we can keep in
1: touch. Me too. Yeah. And I'm very hopeful that we might have a little project to work on together in 2017. Okay. Stay tuned. That's exciting. Yeah.
0: I'll yeah. let you know, guys.
1: <laughs> Nick Hardcastle, thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much.
0: You've been listening to Take Fountain with Ella James. For more, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. You can subscribe to the podcast at Audio Boom, Stitcher, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com.